Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. It is my, um, it's my privilege and honor to be able to share this time with you. And uh, I, uh, like they said, my name's Austin Davis. I'm the local outreach pastor um, at Second Baptist. And I will, I will just give a shout out to, to Karen and her talking about CARM. We, as the local outreach pastor, we use those gift cards for our church all the time. People come to our church and they're, they're needing things. And they come to our office, and we have those gift cards, and we say, what do you need here? You can go to CARM, and, and, and it's, it's awesome. It's this great. So, listen, I commend that. You Be a part of that right there because it is a great resource for our church, and I know it will be a great resource for you. Um, I am married to a, a beautiful woman named Elizabeth. Uh, she is definitely my better half. I wish she was here with me this morning, but we had, I've been working with a young lady in our community and she has committed to come to church this morning, so I'm hoping she's there, and she knows Elizabeth, and so uh, we didn't want her to go into church and not have a familiar face, so she is there, but I, I think they may have a picture of my family and my wife and my two kids, maybe. I don't know if they don't. That's okay, but my, my kids are rambunctious as ever, uh, two little girls, and they are four and two in December. Both were d- born in December. Yeah, um, so December babies. Uh, and so Christmas time is a blast at my house. Uh, it's, it's bananas. And my girls have definitely got my personality, which is, look out. I'm going to just knock down walls and, you know, just that's that. So I'm paying for it, you know. I'm paying for all the shenanigans that I put my parents through. Uh, without a doubt, but I love them little girls. They're awesome, and hopefully uh, once I, Lord willing, that um, we'll be back together next week, and I'll share with you again next week. My family will be with me, and you guys can meet them because they're, they're much better. They're a much better half of me than I am, but uh, as I said, it is my honor and privilege. To, I, just, I have just returned from um, Uganda, and I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details just because uh, a lot of the believers that I was sharing with, I'll just say this, they're, they're believers from Sudan. And if you know anything about Sudan and what's happened over the years, and uh, really not just years, but generations um, in Sudan, is, uh, it is extremely hostile. It's, it's currently number four on, um, on the list of most hostile countries for Christians. Um, and, um, and so I got to share um, for about eight days with... 20 plus men who are Sudanese and they were having me and another man um, teach them about the Bible. If you've, uh, uh, in Acts chapter 8, you see uh, an Ethiopian and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah and a guy named Philip runs up and through the leading of the Holy Spirit and he's like, you know what you're reading there? And the Ethiopian's like, how can I unless somebody tells me what I'm reading about? And uh, that's exactly how these guys are. They've, they've had the Bible in their hands less than nine months. And they were looking at me saying, hey, help us understand this thing. Like We got it. And listen, what, what, what I was blown away by is, hey, they know more Scripture than I do. And they've had the Bible for nine months. I'm like, man, I have a bachelor's degree. I'm almost finished with a master's. I'll be done in March. And both in Bible, and these guys are just throwing out Scripture left and right. The problem was they didn't really know what it meant. They could quote it, but they just didn't know, really have a grasp on it. So that's what we spent. We spent eight days just sharing with them, eight hours a day, man. These guys were just 
swallowing the word, just anything we said, asking questions. It was, it was a beautiful time. But one of the strategies, because we must understand, for a Sudanese, and all 20 of these guys plus plan on going back, they're, they're working right now. Actually, I got a text message um, just yesterday that four of them are returning this weekend into Sudan. So let's be praying for them. But as they go, you can't, you can't walk back into Sudan with this thing under your arm. This will get you killed. And legitimately. And so what do you do? What do you do when that's the situation and the circumstance that you're walking back into? Well, you better hide this thing in your heart. You better get to a place where it's... It, it, when you walk into a circumstance and a situation and an environment, the Word is there because you are there. And that's what Jesus was talking about. And that's what the story of the book of Acts is all about. And this is what our Sudanese believers are beginning to understand, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn it to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And we're going to look at... Um, the sermon that Stephen gives to the Sanhedrin. Now, a little context here. This guy named Stephen, pause. Now, I'm going to do what we taught the Sudanese to do this morning. Okay, because there's no more, this is going to be a little bit, maybe a different sermon than you've ever saw, or maybe heard, or maybe not. You may be seen this. But what we, what we teach those, like in Sudan and these places, as they're taking the gospel in, we teach them to ingrain the stories. You know that the Bible is a narrative. Now that doesn't mean it doesn't have aspects of poetry and different genres and, and rules and laws, but it's not a book about do's and don'ts. It's a story of God and humanity and how He's reached out in love through the person of Jesus. And so we get them and help them understand to take these stories, root them, and be able to retell them. So I'm going to tell you the story of Stephen in his sermon. And then we'll talk about some practical things that and what it matters and how it works in our lives, okay? So, Stephen's this guy who, um, in the chapter before, in chapter 6, he's designated as basically the first deacon, and he's the one, he's kind of the, the model picture of what it looks like to be what we would call today a, a deacon. He's a, one who would serve the tables, and, and there's a situation, and, and the, uh, the disciples are like, man, we, we need to dedicate our time to, to prayer and the teaching of what Jesus said, so we need to set aside some men. They delegate leadership, but I'll just pause right here. Good leadership principle. Leadership always gives away leadership and raises up leadership, amen? So, um, so that's Stephen's job. And so, but Stephen also takes on this role where he begins to speak and he does wonderful powers. And he, he, and he speaks and it says um, in chapter 6, we're going to look at it a little bit, but uh, it says that he spoke with a, a wisdom that they couldn't withstand and a spirit that they couldn't stand against. Even those, the Sanhedrin, which were the most educated men of the day. And so that's this guy, Stephen. And so they don't like Stephen, so the Sanhedrin bring him before him, and he says, and he starts off, and he says, Brothers, brothers, fathers, listen to me. Listen to me. Our Father in heaven, He came to Abraham. And Abraham was in a place called the Chaldeans, the land of the Chaldeans. And God spoke to him. God spoke to him and said, I want you to leave this land of your fathers. Now, I'm going I'm to show you a place that you need to go. 
And I promise when you get there, I'm gonna, there's, I got this promise that I'm going to give you a son. And through that son, they're going to take hold of that land. And it's going to be a possession for them in my name. And, and if there's a verse in the Bible that you need to learn and understand, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible says this. It says, it's the promise of God, part of the covenant promise um, from God to Abraham. And he says, I'm, and I'm paraphrased, but he says, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. You need to write that down. You need to highlight it. And every time you receive a blessing, you need to understand it's not just for you. It's to flow through you into someone else. And ultimately, that blessing was Jesus, right? We know prophecy. But anyway, so here we go. So he says, he, uh, uh, Stephen says this. He says, listen, this was our father Abraham. He was in this land of the Chaldeans. And God came to him and said, you're going to have a son. But first I need you to trust and obey and go to this land. And, and so we know. Um, and Stephen begins to tell him. He says, you know, Abraham leaves after his father passes away. He leaves and he, and he goes to this land. But he never got a piece of the land. But God told him, he said, listen, your offspring, they're going to number more than the stars in the sky. And this is what's going to happen. They're going to be put in slavery in a land that's foreign to them for 400 years. 400 years. And Abraham's like, I'm going to have a people who are enslaved for 400 years and, and I don't even have a son yet, but he trusted. So he leaves and he goes. And brothers, fathers, sisters, this is what, this is what God told Abraham and he did it. He followed through and he's, he's the one that we said. He's, he's one of the patriarchs. And God in His old age gave our father Abraham, He gave him a son. And his name was Isaac. And Isaac, he had a son and his name was Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And we know them, right? They're our fathers. They're the, they're the patriarchs. It's the 12 tribes. This is the 12 tribes that we come from the entire nation of Israel. This is us. And one of those brothers, one of those sons was a, was a man named Joseph. It's a man named Joseph. And Joseph, oh man, he was his father's favorite. You guys remember the story. You know the story. He was, he was God's, he was his father's favorite. And, and God had his hand on Joseph. And even at a young age, Joseph began to dream dreams about what was going to happen in his life. And these dreams deserted him, even though he was a younger one, over his brothers and even over his father. Ooh, and, and our fathers, the other ten, patriarchs they rejected him they rejected joseph and remember they sold him into slavery they sold him into slavery and as he was in slavery he ends up in this place called egypt and and he's in potiphar's house and but even though he was in egypt god was with joseph and god prospered him even in the house of potiphar and he became second in command over all of potiphar's, all, all, over all of potiphar's belongings and stuff and his house but yet, he was thrown into prison through some circumstances that weren't his fault because he was a man of integrity. And In prison, God was with Joseph. Even in prison in Egypt, God was with Joseph. And, and there, some men came in and he, he interpreted some dreams. And ultimately, interpreting those dreams, that led him before the Pharaoh, the king of, the king of Egypt. And now Joseph, this one who was rejected by his brothers, stands in front of Pharaoh and Pharaoh has a dream and God is with Joseph and he allows him to interpret the dreams. And 
And the Pharaoh looks and says, God must be with this man. He can interpret dreams that no one else can interpret. So Joseph now becomes in charge of all of everything in Egypt except, except Pharaoh himself. And then there arose a famine in the land. And this famine even struck where we're standing today. And so the other ten brothers, they had to flee to Egypt to get some relief. And upon their second time going there and meeting Joseph, and they first time they didn't know it was Joseph, second time Joseph reveals himself. He reveals himself to his brothers. And, and then what happens is because Joseph has so much stature with Pharaoh, because God has been with him, Joseph's able to bring his father and all his belongings and his brothers and their wives and everything they have. And he brings them into this land called Egypt and they're protected. And there, Joseph and his families and the, the sons of Jacob live and live and live. And then years and years pass by. And a Pharaoh raises up who doesn't know Joseph. He doesn't know Joseph. And, and, and so he begins to enslave these people, these Hebrews, these, these descendants of ours who are there. And, and um, they're enslaved and they're treated terrible. And, and one Pharaoh, he gets... He gets scared that the Israelites, the Hebrews, are getting so big that he begins to put to death babies. He makes the, the mothers just abandon their children. And, and it was at this time God looked upon Israel and said, I hear your cries, I hear your cries. Our, our forefathers, our patriarch brothers, uh, fathers in the past, God, God heard their cry. And so he raised up a man named Moses. And you, you guys remember... You guys, remember this is Stephen talking to the Sanhedrin here. He says, you remember, Moses was born and his mom took him and after he got to a certain age, she, she couldn't hide him any longer so she, threw him, she put him in a basket and they put him in the reeds and, and there was some strategery there because she, she put him in a place where people would be hoping maybe an Egyptian would, would find them and, and take him in. But oh, it wasn't just any Egyptian, it was, it was the daughter of Pharaoh. Ha! Look what God was doing even in Egypt through this man Moses. And, and so the daughter of Pharaoh finds and she adopts him as her own son. And, and now we, have a, we, have, we know that the Israelite Moses was raised in Egypt as a son of the Pharaoh. And after about 40 years, as he was 40 years old, he goes out to see his people. And, and he sees and he goes and he sees how... How, how mistreated they are and how, how broken the Egyptian um, uh, uh, soldiers and, and slave owners were treating them. And, and, he, and he sees this one, and he, and he sees this one slave owner, and he's, he's beating, he's beating uh, a, a, um, one of our, our, our fathers, our forefathers, and, and Moses strikes him down. And, and he thought, he thought that our people would realize that God was with him to bring salvation to the people. And so Moses goes back and comes back the next day and he sees two men, two Israelites arguing and so he splits them up and one of our forefathers looks at Moses and says, who made you judge over us? You going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian? And so Moses fled into the wilderness and there he spent 40 years and he met his wife there and, and he had two sons and then as he's walking... Um, with his flock, he comes across this place and there's a, there's a bush up on a mountain and he sees it's on fire. and So he's no big deal. And then he looks back and he 
that's still burning. How could this fire, how could this bush still be burning? And it continually burns, so he has to go check it out. And, and there, God, an angel of the Lord, it, when we know that's, this, this is what we would call the Christophany, but this is Christ in this burning bush, the one who would come, and he speaks to Moses and he says, listen, listen, now's the time. I'm going to lead the people out of Israel. Their cry has come to my ear. I'm gonna, through you, I'm going to lead them out. And we know Moses, he did many signs and miracles did many signs and miracles. He split the sea and He led them through the wilderness. And as they led Him through the wilderness, they went and they worshipped at a place called Mount Sinai. And Moses went up on the mountain and he met with God. God was with Moses on Mount Sinai. And what were the people doing? They were at the bottom. And they made a golden calf and they began to worship it. Saying, where's Moses? He's gone. We need something else to follow. And then God led Moses to build a tabernacle, this, this tent where one man would walk behind this, this veil and he would be able to go into the presence of God. And he would, the Bible says he would stand as if one man speaks to another with God in this tabernacle, this tent. And Joshua, a follower of uh, the predecessor of, 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 of Moses, he, he leads the people of Israel with the tent into the land of Canaan. And there, they conquered many, conquered many nations there within Canaan and, and rose up a King David. And God put it in King David's heart to build a place where God would reside. But he wasn't able to build it. But it was his son, Solomon, who builds the temple. And the story stops. And Stephen stops right there and he says, like, there's lots more to this story, right? Solomon, there's, there's things that go on after Solomon in the Old Testament. And so the guys listening in the Sanhedrin, right, they're like, yeah, 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 they're tracking, you know, they know this probably better than Stephen maybe. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I want you to go to chapter 7, verse 48, and I'm going to read this verse. He says, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. And that's where we just ended our story. And then the breaks come on right here. Yet, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a huge statement to us. But to these guys, the Sanhedrin, this is everything. To make this statement to them is to reject their perspective of the entire Old Testament which is what they had brought Stephen to uh, in front of them for. It was these lies. If you go back to chapter 6, it says that they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, talking about the temple, and the law. For we've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us and gazing at uh, gazing at him, all who sat there in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So what is, what is Stephen saying here? Because this is, this is the crux of his entire message. When he gets to this point, he says, listen, the Most High doesn't reside in a building made out of hands. So what is he actually saying here? What he's saying is that the whole story that I just told you, God was with all these guys, all of our fathers, and none of them had a temple. 
You guys think that God still resides in this temple. But Jesus, when He hung on the cross and said it was finished, the veil was torn, the temple was no more. There is a plan that God had in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which was that the Spirit would indwell in His people. God would be with His people, just like God was with Abraham. And where was Abraham? He was in the earth of the Chaldeans. He wasn't in Canaan land. God was with Abraham in the far east. And then he goes, and then in, if you remember in the story that I just told you, God was with who? Joseph. And where was he? He was in the far west in Egypt. And guess where the other patriarchs were? They were actually in the Canaan land. They were right around Jeru where Jerusalem is at this point. And he's like, God wasn't with them even though they were in this geographical location that you think God exists. God was over here in Egypt with Joseph. And then God was with Moses in Egypt over in the west and in the south down at Mount Sinai. God was with him. See, what Stephen is trying to explain to them is that God doesn't reside, as he says, in buildings made with hands. God resides in those who walk faithfully with him. And this is what Jesus came. We just sung about it. This mystery revealed. What is that mystery? Christ in us. Christ in us. And this is blowing up all of their perspectives. And see, Jesus didn't come to change everything. He came to set everything right. Their perspective was wrong. What they believed about the entire Old Testament, they had a wrong bent. This is the story of Paul, as we'll see after he, he's, if you know the story, he's, he's the one who's holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen after this very sermon. We see God change his perspective and show him the truth, the mystery this mystery that it's about Christ in us. It's about Christ in us. So, Stephen, Stephen then looks at them and he stops, his, he stops his storytelling right then and he's like, listen, this, this is Jesus whom you rejected. Just like you rejected all the prophets. Just like the brothers rejected Joseph. Just like, just like our brothers stood in Egypt and rejected Moses and said, who put you judge over us? And so on and so forth and so on and so forth. You've always rejected the prophets and you're rejecting the one that they prophesied about and you put him on a cross. And as, and as you reject him, you're rejecting that he didn't come to change the custom. He came to fulfill it. He came to fulfill all that the temple represented. The temple was a representation of what God wanted for His people. Listen, this is God's plan from the beginning. He's always wanted to be with humanity. He never wanted to exist in a temple. Go back to the garden. It says that Adam and Eve walked with Him in the cool of the day. That's always been God's plan, and He's always been in a... The story of the Bible is a restoration of that. To where God would now and be able to reside in humanity, be with them. And who is God with? He's, he's with those who are faithful. He's with those who are faithful. So what, is this, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? So I, I, I explain the story, and this is how we tell them. So it's a lot easier to remember a story than a bunch of like one, two, three principles. So this is how we're training the Sudanese to go back in. They have the story in their hearts. And then they can get to this. So, so what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for us as we begin to walk out and live? Now, first thing that I want us to understand is that 
we need to take the Holy Spirit more serious. Do you realize that the Sanhedrin stoned Stephen for talking about this? They took it more serious than we do, and we have the Spirit. They were willing to murder for it. And we hardly even talk about the Spirit of God. Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God, and in that book he says this, He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, The world is not moved by love or actions that are human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence is in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different and the world cannot help but notice. That is what Stephen is talking about. That is the life that Stephen's calling us to live. Spirit-filled lives. This is, do you you understand that there was a time when Moses would go into this tabernacle thing that I told you about one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And it says, if you read about it in the Old Testament, it says that all the men would gather at the door of their tents and they would watch as one man got to go into the presence of God. They sit there and, dude, he's going. He's going. He gets to go in there with God. Oh, man. And they, would, they couldn't even see in the tent. They just watched a tent as one man got to go inside. And they just, can you imagine? They just sit there and imagine what was happening inside that tent. Oh, I wonder what it's like to stand face to face with God, speak with Him, have, be with Him. Man, they just, oh. And now what Stephen comes to tell us is that it is the veil has been torn. God is with us. We all get to experience what these men stood at tents watching and wanting and longing for. Now we get to have it. Man, church, we got to wake up. We have a spirit that is put in us. It's not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of boldness, of truth. So we need to take it seriously. I, I, I heard the other day, somebody said, we have a John 3.16 theology. It says, God so loved the world, so we know that part. God the Father, He loves the world. He loves the world. He gave His only begotten Son. Oh man, the son's so good. He died for us. He resurrected for us. And then that's it. And then we're done. But the truth that Acts is trying to show us that Luke is writing about, the author of Acts, is he's trying to say, listen, now it's Christ in you and this is what it looks like to live with Christ in you. This is what it looks like. So what does that look like? We need to prayerfully read the Bible. There's nothing novel in this message. We need to prayerfully read the Bible. If you're spirit-filled, you read the Bible prayerfully. As I talked about earlier, the Ethiopian eunuch, he didn't, he was reading the scripture. I don't, I don't know. I know it. I'm listening. I'm reading it. But I don't, I don't know what it's actually saying. What does it mean? What does it mean? John 14, 26 says this, but the Helper, this is Jesus speaking, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all the things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, where do we get what has been said to Jesus? And Jesus said to them, right here. So you want to be Spirit-filled, you want to hear the voice of the Spirit of God, open this Bible and read it and begin to ingrain it in story form if that's how you choose, just like I've shared with you. And I'm telling you, it's a really good way. Because as you tell story, it just comes alive in you. And you begin to put yourself in the story, which if you don't know, this is called Hebrew meditation literature, and that's the whole point. 
is that you put yourself into it. This was how they designed it, the writers. They were brilliant people. Like, these weren't dumb people who wrote this. Like, they were extremely intelligent, especially when it comes to literature. Imagine, imagine for years and years and years being in oral culture where you have no written language, and then you get the ability to write. Oh. Imagine how you would just study that and figure out techniques and ways to tell stories and, and advance. This is what this is. Specifically in the Old Testament. And so it, it's written so that we will get in it and grasp and wrestle with it. You know, there's a word in here that it talks about how we should read the Bible. And it's the word that they use is how a cow actually chews uh, grass. Have you anybody ever been in a field and heard, like, saw a... It's disgusting. It's like they just grind it down and they make... The, and the, the words actually, it represents a sound. It's this, that, that gross sound that people make that when they eat, you know? That one that it annoys us all. We're like, man, like, do you eat a little quieter? That's the word that they use to talk to, to tell us. I know this crazy graphic, but they're storytellers. And so they're sitting there thinking, okay, what could we, what word could we use to help explain people how to like dive into this thing? Oh, yeah, that annoying sound that people make when they're eating because it's so good. And they're just like, and that's the way we should get into this thing. And we should put ourselves in it. And it should become, it should, it should be, we should be in it so much that everyone around us hears it. Everyone around us hears it. So that's prayerfully read. Remember, we have to have the Holy Spirit. He said that he's going to, Jesus said, I'm going to send a helper, one who's going to teach you all that I know. So as we read this, we read it prayerfully. We read it prayer. We don't just read it, we read it prayerfully because we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit to lead it in our lives. Listen, it's not just Jesus talking. What did Stephen do in this message? He went back and told them the entire Old Testament, basically. This was a man who had this story rooted in his heart. He, he knew how to apply it specifically to the circumstance and the context that he was in because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The spirit-filled person is a Bible-filled person. Now, there are Bible-filled people who aren't spirit-filled people. Don't get those two switched. But you'll never find a spirit-filled person who doesn't have the Bible in them. It won't happen. It won't happen. The second thing, we need to speak truth with meekness. Meekness, not weakness. Meekness. Word for me is like a, a horse that's bridled. You take a you take a wild stallion and you throw him into a a a, a, a um, field full of crops and he will just trample it to death. But you take a stallion and you and you train it and you put a bridle in its mouth and it begins to move with precision and tact and wisdom, and it cultivates land rather than destroys it. And this is what we're called to be by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We are powerful, but we're not just crazy people running around like lunatics. We're power under control. Under control. Under control of what? The power of the Holy Spirit. And when we work like that, it's, it, uh, it's like the words that Jesus said. He said, be wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. Be wise as serpents, be harmless as doves. 
We work with tact and we move. This is exactly what, like, think about what Stephen did. He starts out and he's like, brothers, brothers, fathers. That's, that's tactful. It's like he's putting his arm around him and saying, hey, 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 come on, come on, guys. Listen, listen, listen. That's tactful. That's tactful. It's not just, you idiot, let me smash you in the face with a Bible. That's not what he does. He's tactful. He's wise. He's wise as a serpent, but he's harmless as a dove. But he doesn't dodge the truth. He speaks boldly, right? And he gets to the end. He is bold. He's bold. He says, listen, you put, you put this prophet, you've rejected him so much so that you killed him. And now you're rejecting his prophets who've come after him. Those who have the Holy Spirit. Those who have the Holy Spirit. We speak truth with meekness. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. This is speaking truth with meekness. Truth under control. Truth with grace. This is who Jesus was. It embodied Him. If you look back in Acts chapter 6, I told you we were going to look at it in just a second. Verses 9 and 10. This is what it says about, um, this is why they bring Stephen in front of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are standing there and they're hearing him. And it says this. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians of those of the Cilicia and of Asia rose up and disputed Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Two things I want you to see, notwithstand the wisdom. That's power. If you can't withstand something, it's more powerful than you. And so, Stephen spoke with power, but not crazy power out of control. It says then, and the Spirit with which he was speaking. And the Spirit. We say this sometimes, like, they, they had a spirit of malevolence. Or they had a spirit of anger. And we're talking about the motivation of a person's heart. And so what they're saying here, what Luke is saying here is that Stephen spoke out of a motivation of his heart that was under control. It was out of love. And he spoke controlled, not just steamrolling people. And so that is what we're called to do. We need to speak truth with meekness. Power under control. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you notice that all but the last one are relational? The last one is personal. So when you're being led by the Spirit, you'll be a person who's relationally wise. That is tact, power under control, which is exactly what we see in Stephen as he preaches this message. A spirit-filled person is one who accepts he is a part of God's story. He puts himself in it. This is what Stephen does. He takes his story and he says, this is what God was doing all through the Old Testament. This is what it was pointing to, this man named Jesus. And now this man named Jesus, I am a follower and I am speaking with wisdom and a spirit that is of Him. And I'm standing and now I'm fulfilling my role in God's story in this world. This is why he says, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by, man, by man's hands. It was never God's intent for God to be dwelling in a house made by man because he had already made a dwelling for himself and he made it by his hands. Do you remember 
what that means, Genesis chapter 2. How did he make man by his own hands? That was the intention. This is the mystery, Christ in us. So how are we living by the Holy Spirit? Are we living prayerfully, reading the Bible? Are we speaking truth with meekness, power under control? This is what it looks like to be a spirit-filled person. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says it this way. He says, we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them who walk among them. And I, I will make my dwelling among them and I will walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's 2 Corinthians 6.16. So if the band wants to come up or however we finish this out, I'm going to pray in just a second. Bottom line, God is not in houses made by hands, but he's in those who follow Jesus faithfully. That was true for Abraham. That was true for Moses. That was true for Joseph. And this is what Stephen's getting at. It was true for Jesus, and now it's true for Stephen, and now it should be true for his church. He doesn't exist in a house. He exists in you and I. And so are you prayerfully going out? Because we are called to be people who speak truth with power. So is that your life? Is that how your life is defined? Because we have no excuse. We have the Spirit of God in us. I've heard it said, if a man walks in a street and gets hit by a Mack truck, do you think it will be obvious? What's more powerful, the Holy Spirit or a Mack truck? So let us be that. It's in us. Let's live it. Let the Word reside in your heart. Take this, take this strategy of story and in your circumstances in life, tell the stories of God and then tell your story. And that's how God is advancing His kingdom through those who are walking with Him faithfully and understanding that the story continues in and through you and I. The story of Jesus is still moving. It's still moving through those who will walk faithfully with Him. God will be with them to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, Lord. We thank you that we got to come here and enjoy you, the great worship and the singing, Lord, and uh, the, I don't, mediocre message, Lord, but I trust that you will, you will use the words that you gave me and pour it into my heart. And God, I pray that you will pour it into the hearts of these people here, Lord. Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity and forgive me where I fail you. And forgive these people where they fail you, but may we be a people who recognize that we have the power of the Holy Spirit and that we can read your word, understand it, and we can then apply it into our lives and the people's lives around us. And that was the great mystery revealed as the veil was torn and Jesus said, it is finished. So may we be a people that, don't, that doesn't take uh, for granted this thing of the Holy Spirit, this, this person of the Holy Spirit being in us, may we live with power and strength pre uh, speaking truth. Father, may we move out of this place when these doors open. May we take it with us. May we be a people who, because we show up in an environment, wherever it may be, the Word of God shows up. God with us means God with us into the lives of other people. And so that may, be our, may that be our story, Father. And we don't ask these things, we don't ask any of these things, doubting that they are not true. Lord, we ask them not because we, we've done anything, but we ask them solely on the blood of Jesus Christ. You say we can come before you with boldness and ask these things, so we ask with boldness, knowing that they will be true in our lives if we will walk faithfully with you. 
May we honor our brothers and sisters in, in Sudan as they walk into death, literal death, telling your story. May we walk into our communities where we may be mocked, we may be laughed at, but may, may we take your story and be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.